Welcome to the Defence Forces podcast brought to you by the Defence Forces Public Relations Branch. Hello and welcome to the Irish Defence Forces podcast. My name is Captain Richard Byrne, and today I'd like to welcome onto the show Corporal Cathy Jennings. Cathy has served four years in the Irish Defence Forces, first joining as a recruit in the Army. After her training, she served with the 1st Infantry Battalion in Galway. Cathy has served on a tour overseas in Syria with the 63rd Infantry Group, and on her return from Syria, Cathy applied for and then successfully passed the gruelling selection course to become the first female crewman in the history of the Irish Air Corps. Cathy, you're very welcome. Thank you. So Cathy, I suppose what we'll start off with, it's a fair whack of a CV and you've only four years service, but we'll start off maybe before you joined the Army um, to, to talk us about your reasons or your kind of inspiration to j- join the Defence Forces. Um, so before, before I joined the Army, um, normal enough, I went to school um, and I was into sport. I was uh, mad into kickboxing um, and I was into the scouts as well. So I was into outdoor stuff. Um, I done a couple of jobs for the army i was a cleaner um worked in worked in a shop and um, worked in a deli um and wasn't long after school yeah i went into the army Um, i knew that kind of i hadn't an interesting one to college or anything like that just yet Um, i knew that the army was kind of what i wanted to do while i was young and could um so yeah so 18 I went and did in. you go straight from school or no i had a year of working in between um i didn't get it straight away and um, the application process kind of took a couple of months um and like that kind of had a, a little while of not knowing where what exactly i was doing and <laughs> where mm. i was going um but ex- exactly a year after i finished school uh, september uh, 2018 i went into the army and so, so you were from Galway, is it? From Galway yeah. and started recruit training in Limerick. Limerick. So how, talk to me about recruit training and how did you find it? Did, was there many in your platoon, many other girls? Um, our recruit training was difficult. It started with, uh, I started with about 38 people, I think. Mm. Um, but as the weeks went on, the numbers kind of dwindled. Um, we actually only passed out with about 18 um and like that started with with three females but as the numbers dwindled on um it was just myself then at the end mm. um so yeah it was difficult um i suppose the army's not for everyone i think recruit training a lot of people realize that um you know like it, it is difficult like for for till the first couple of months then but you, you obviously enjoyed it did you i did enjoy yeah. it yeah i didn't i didn't enjoy it you know sleepless nights or <laughs> or uh just staying away for a long time and being wrecked and you know staying up cleaning gear <laughs> and all that kind of stuff but i loved uh you know i loved firing rifles and mm. <laughs> and getting out and you know doing something really different and and were you big into sport before you joined or yeah i was big into kickboxing um yeah, I was speaking to that. So that. That obviously stood to you then during your training? Yeah, I think so. Um, like, I think that kind of sport, there's a lot of discipline required mm. um, and a lot of motivation. Um, like, you know, I was doing a lot of fights and I kind of, I would have had to have been at training, mm. you know, five, six days a week. Um, and I would have had to be in running as well. Mm. So, like, I remember I'd get up and run before school. Um, and then I'd go to school, go home, do my homework, and I'd be going to training then that evening. Um, but I absolutely loved kickboxing. I loved fight. I loved doing my fights. So mm. um, I was only happy to be training. And uh, it did stand to me because I knew, you know, I had been in a kind of situation before where I had to kind of manage my time mm. 
um, as best as I could, like kind of taught me a lot of lessons that way. So it did stand to me because there is a lot of that in recruit training, yeah, just managing yeah, yeah. your time. So you, you kind of took that discipline, the fighting spirit into, into recruit training. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Try to. Uh, yeah, so, um, so when you finished training then, where, where were you based or where did you, where did you move to? Um, I was actually based in Limerick for a short period of time. Um, I did a javelin course there. Um, and then I went to Galway then July um, after route training and I was straight into Portlaoise. Straight into <laughs> yeah. So that's the armed guard in Portlaoise in, yeah. in the prison there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so did that and I was in Galway, yeah, for a couple of, a couple of months then and uh, went on my NCOs course then um, in January 2020. Oh, very good. So didn't waste any time. No, yeah, you're, you're <laughs> no. You're a go-getter. Yeah. I kind of, I applied for it because I thought that if I applied for it now and didn't get it that it would stand to me mm. for <laughs> it would stand to me for um for when I went for it again and uh because I was like I was like there's no way I was like I'm not in long I was like I definitely won't get that course and uh as the course got closer and closer more and more people were changing their minds or not not wanting to do it and my name was just moving closer, up and closer. up and up <laughs> yeah and um I uh I remember I was working in the kitchen actually in Galway at the time and I was making uh chips and uh the CS came in to me and he was like uh your days of making chips are over <laughs> he's like you're on that course on Monday and this is like the Thursday and I was like oh no <laughs> scramble to get all your gear scramble yeah <laughs> yeah that's like the worst the worst part of pot course is two weeks before it starts like the amount of admin and everything that you have to do and i was doing this i was doing the admin because i was like and i was like but i wasn't really like doing it properly because i was like i'm not going to be on the course yeah. <laughs> so i went down and my gear was in bits like because i didn't think that i was going to be joe i hadn't anything that i needed or anything like that because i didn't think i was going to be on the course so when you were down you said was that down to where, where did you do the course uh the btc in car in in Collins Barracks. Yeah, yeah. And that's the Brigade Training Centre down yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so did you, was it a st- whiz-bang of a start? It was a whiz-bang of a start. Yeah. But then I was like, well, I'm here now. Do you know, I was like, I, I kind of thought, my thinking was, I was like, the next six months, like, what would I be doing? Kind of, do you know, would I get any courses or anything done mm. in the next six months? So I, it just seemed, it was just the best thing to be doing at the time. Mm. Um, so I just, I went with it. And uh, yeah. So how did you find the, the potential sales courses? It's difficult yeah, I think it's a hard course, mm. um, and maybe it was a bit harder for me because I wasn't out of training long. But like, like, it's definitely a difficult course, like, and it's definitely there's a, a lot expected of you, um, time wise and, you know, responsibility and. Mm. And how did you find like because it's it's the first stage of our leadership kind of mm. in the defence forces, junior leaders. How did you find that taking on leadership roles, maybe o- o- over nine, ten, twelve troops, or even over a, a gang of troops? Yeah, you learn a lot of lessons. I think. Mm. Um, do you know, like when you're doing your section attacks or you're doing your ground phases and mm. you're put into leadership roles, I think you learn what you make mistakes and you learn what not to do, mm. um, and then you learn what works well. And um, yeah, you definitely. And did, did you, they teach you to become an instructor and kind of really kind of um, give classes and give briefs and all that? How did you find speaking in public or speaking to groups? Yeah, um, that side of it is actually kind of help is, is quite helpful as well. Um, you have to you have to be an instructor in you know the various different like weapons mm. and uh various different things um so that when recruits come in you know you're qualified to to teach them mm. um so you're taught on the course how to teach things to people um you know you you use the format of like of weapons um of doing lessons on the weapons but you can kind of apply it to to most to, to everything else like the the way that you're taught and um, so i suppose that's that's really helpful like mm. in, in 
doing it in your life like I suppose you can kind of carry that forwards to, to different things so did you do full six months and then went back to back to Galway or um we broke yeah I did the course was 20 was 27 weeks and um, mm. we broke for COVID okay. uh in the middle of it but uh we don't we did maybe five or six weeks broke for COVID came back and and continued the course in July so the course finished uh a bit later than it was supposed to um but I suppose like the the time that was in it, it was in the middle of a pandemic yeah, so yeah, yeah. nothing was kind of starting. shoulder to the wheel. Um, yeah. But it was beneficial in that way, as in, like, you know, there was nothing else kind of to distract me mm-hmm. <laughs> while the course was on. So um, so you did a few did a few, few weeks, and then when you went back to your unit then during COVID, were you just assisting with the unit? When we broke for COVID, yeah, everyone was sent back to their mm-hmm. units, and uh, everyone was doing whatever their unit were yeah. required them to do. Because yeah, it was a busy time, in, in, in fairness. Yeah, um, so then when you kind of, you finished up your kind of help with COVID, you went back, finished the course down in Cork? Yeah, yeah. Um, got promoted um, the week after finishing the course and was in, did a stint in Portlaoise Prison for, for two months. So did um, you go back to the 1st Battalion in Galway? Yeah. So you're now, got your stripes, corporal in the 1st Battalion in Galway. So it yeah. was a good feeling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it was brilliant. Yeah. Because like that, I, I don't think it's an easy course. Mm. And, um, you know, it, they weren't, they weren't easy easy to get so I was quite happy when I got promoted so then your second stint you finished in Port Leash um, and then was it straight away overseas or how did that work yeah I was straight on to the list for overseas and um, so, sorry, form up in January so where did you go or what, what unit were you with uh, 63rd Infantry Group and we were going to Syria and so what was your role you, you were a corporal at that stage so was it a, a leadership role yeah so I went over as section 2 IC and a, a MOAG dismount commander and uh, so you can, can you talk me through what, what, what's involved with that um, so the dismount commander um, is in the back of the MOAG and on patrols we're kind of l- looking after everyone and everything in the back um, so at times you might be the only NCO or there, there could be an officer with you um, so you could be helping them with the you know with the route and uh, following the route and stuff like that you could be on your own you could be looking after the route yourself um, you could be looking after equipment in the back um, and then uh, working with the troops in the back to do uh, observe monitor report mm. so um taking information and and reporting it back oh, so when you say you were second command of a section what, what what's the makeup of that so there are two the ic would be an nco uh the two and ic, the IC was is the is in command yeah 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 the two ic would be two ic was myself um and then there was four moag dismounts um and then there was the uh the two moag crewmen and NCO and uh, private. So this being your first overseas trip, and you were straight away thrown into a leadership position. How did you, how did you find that? Or how did you did you get help from the other guys, or did you lean on a bit of experience? Or how, how did that work out for you? I definitely leaned on a bit of experience as mm. much as I could, um, like that because it was my first role overseas. Uh, I looked for help from everyone who had been overseas, and um, regardless of rank, to you know, privates, corporals, anyone, um, just for for guidance and and help with going overseas for the first mm. time, um, and then uh, with regards to being in a leadership role, I. Joe, with the help of my my section IC and my platoon sergeant and everyone else, um, mm-hmm. Joe, I, I I got a lot of support and advice uh, from other people, Joe, uh, corporal and up. So I was I was gifted that way. Like I had great great people around me, um, and uh, yeah, I just made I was I made a conscious effort to uh, to look for advice from people if I wasn't sure of anything, um, if I needed help with anything, um, because like that I was conscious that I haven't I hadn't done it before, mm. um. 
so it was a learning experience definitely for me yeah no fair play because some people might even might want to ask for help mm. but that you actually really sought out that help and sought out the experience so then would you be leading patrols on your own then or would you be supporting your, your, your yeah so um you'd be leading your AUV patrols um which are the the, the armory utility vehicles for any of the, the listeners at home that might yeah. know yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so you'd be le- you'd be leading them um yeah you could be IC or two IC just join a week you might do uh, a di- different roles um so yeah you'd be leading those patrols so you'd be given kind of a, a route or a number of report lines you have to hit and uh you go out in in two vehicles and uh d- do a certain route um observe monitor reports so you'd uh, be looking at a uh, certain looking and uh taking in certain information um in the area at certain times and now uh, you'd be reporting that back to um, would you be meeting with the locals or would you be in amongst the villages or would you be much interaction with locals over there no, um, because we had the COVID situation yes, while yes, we were course. there, um, so we were cautious of that. Um, so we would be driving through the villages, mm. um, uh, we would be, and we don't be kind of waving to the locals yeah, yeah, and stuff but like you're, that. You're but conscious, want to protect them. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. So that's it. Um, but to be fair, like I found all, all the locals um, really, really friendly, and they seemed quite kind of happy to. Happy to see us driving around. So you're doing routine patrols over there as well. But is there is there any other tasks? Is there a quick reaction force thing you're involved in? Yeah. So with the uh, with the Moags, um, you'd be doing the quick reaction force. So uh, there'd be a platoon, um, a Moag platoon uh, on standby on a 15 minutes notice to move okay. at all times. Mm. And in the event of uh, a call out, um, you'd be straight down to the cars and you'd be mobile. Uh, within 15 minutes so you're out the gate in 15 minutes yeah and where what would a call out would it be someone is in trouble or there's an outpost needs help or what what kind of scenarios would you be dealing with a call out could be for for anything um because you're a reserve force Mm. so you're you're in reserve and you're to be called out for um for you know for the other un posts um but mainly it would be for for the un posts if they were if they were needing um support so you're kind of really ready for anything and be ready to go in 15 minutes yeah yeah, yeah so as soon as possible. So obviously a lot of rehearsal, a lot of practice, a lot of training for that, is there? Yeah, practice call-outs to iron out any kind of issues, snags yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that might arise. Um, so then on your on your tour overseas, um, you were it was during COVID, so was there, there was obviously difficulty because there's no there was no leave, so it was a six months where usually yeah. troops they get two or three weeks in the, in the middle somewhere. Yeah, you were you were fully through, was it? Six months straight. Yeah. Six months straight, and then was there quarantine before that or after? There was two weeks in Kilworth before we went to Syria. Mm. So and then when we arrived, uh, we were in a bubble, in the camp, and um, so we were kind of operational but at limited capacity for the two, first two weeks. Um, we weren't allowed to mix at all with the other contingents or or anything in the camp. So uh, and then we were fully operational then from two weeks. So. Did you did you enjoy your tour? Just to finish up on the on the overseas part, did you enjoy the tour? It was your first tour in your leadership yeah, role. I really enjoyed it, and mm. I learned a lot. It was a great experience. Excellent. So then, when you came back from uh, from Syria, did you go back to the first battalion, back to your home unit? No. Um. While I was in Syria, I had a lot of time to think. Mm-hmm. Um. And I was thinking about my own interests and my own career path and what I wanted to do. Um. And actually, the woman I was sharing a room with over there. Uh, was an advanced paramedic and she was over as the medic sergeant and um, you can give her a shout out if you want yeah <laughs> Sharon Darby she's actually <laughs> just finished her 22 years and uh, she's leaving the defence forces this week so <laughs> um, and before she left she gave me a lot of advice and um, I had an interest in the medical field anyway and uh, 
I decided to put in a transfer into the into the CMU, into the medics. Um, so that's with the, the central going, medical unit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with a view of going down that road okay. because, like, I just had an interest in it. Mm-hmm. Um, an interest in it working on on an ambulance. Um, to helping people and mm-hmm. do, and doing those kind of calls. Um, so I decided while I was over there that that's the route that I wanted to go down. So then, obviously, you're you were in the CMU then. The crewman's course, I assume, popped up. And the crewman's course popped up literally on the computer <laughs> in the office one day uh, in March or April. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were, I was just looking at it and I was like, that just can't be real. I was like, that looks way too good to be true. <laughs> I was like, because I was looking at it and I was like, why isn't like everyone been talking about it? Why have I not heard of this before? Like, why hasn't So the people at home listening might know what a crewman's, what a crewman does. So can you yeah. give it just a very brief uh, synopsis? So a helicopter crewman works in the back of the helicopter. So yeah. one or two pilots in the front, crewman in the back. Um, long story short, they help the pilot uh land the helicopter um they look after equipment personnel in the back and they go on to, you go on to do uh the all different disciplines such as firefighting fast roping air ambulance winching etc so you've seen the advertising this and you couldn't you couldn't turn it down yeah i seen a photo of somebody winching <laughs> off the heli and it was like a poster and i was like that That's looks me. cool and i was also like I was like that can't be real Do you know i was like no way and i looked into it and uh i was like that just looks so cool um i was like jokes i was like you know, it looks unreal mm. like all, all the different disciplines that you do and the winching looks class like and it looks interesting and adventurous yeah. and I was like yeah 100% and then uh, you know the more I was looking into it um, I saw the, about the air, emergency air medical service and I was really interested in it then because I was you know that's that's what I yeah that's the kind of air ambulance that's based out of Athlone yeah sorry the, yeah. the air ambulance based out of Athlone and, and uh, it's used for kind of you know serious calls and mm. um, and neo neonatal transfers and, and neonatal calls and stuff like that. So, uh, so marry really marry the two together. The yeah, sounds exciting. But also, you're medically you want to go on the medical. Yeah, so marry them two nicely together. That's it. Like, so it literally seemed like the perfect job. Um, it seemed like it was for me. So, mm. so uh, talk to me about the application process and then how how did you get on? Yeah, uh, what's so the process to get into the course. Um, yeah, so I, I, I applied for it and uh, my name came out on the selection. Um, so you had to come up to Baldonnell for a few days and do a selection course. Um, so that's kind of a selection just to actually get on the course. So yeah. It's like a pre, pre-test. Yeah, so um, yeah, so I think I think everyone who applied uh, was on, this, on mm-hmm. the selection. And uh, it consists of various different physical and not physical tests and mm-hmm. um, to kind of see if you were suited for the role. So it's how many how many days up here, up do you go to Ballon and can you talk me through some of the tests? So the first day consists of kind of fitness tests so uh, standard running beep tests uh, push-ups sit-ups pull-ups um, and the dummy drag which would be uh, dragging a 70 kilo dummy kind of 100 or 150 meters um doing that, uh, doing a, a rope pull mm. up on top of the gantry, which is essentially like a, a metal tower, um, and just pulling pulling a, ro- a weighted rope up over that. Okay. Um, and was, is it a heavyweight? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, just, I, I think it's just to see if you have kind of some kind of upper body strength. Mm. Um, and then uh, 
down to the pool in uh, the car camp um, and doing various different uh, swimming tests and water confidence um, and seeing if how uh, proficient people were in the water. Um, and when you say swimming test, is it is it actually swimming lengths or is it treading water or is it all of all, all of, of the above? Yeah. Um, s- swimming lengths, swimming lengths in uniform, uh, s- treading water, treading water in uniform, uh, swimming down t- to pick up a weight, holding a weight above your head, um, doing physical tests in and in and out of the water for mm-hmm. an extended period of time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you really need to be confident in the water by the sounds of that. Yeah, and some kind of fitness mm. in the water. Um, I yeah, you do, you do, you need to be, you do need to be a proficient swimmer for it. Um, so that is that that's day one, is it? That's day one. That a hectic day. Hectic day. Yeah, I was yeah. wrecked after <laughs> it. Um, day two then um, was the water confidence uh, bridge jump. Okay. So that was a jump, three jumps off of Blessington Bridge. Yeah. And um, I suppose those just to test kind of fear, fear of heights. And water confidence as well. Obviously, the the job wouldn't be su- suitable for you if you were afraid of heights. Yeah, yeah. And um, just because you are working at a at a height, and you've the you're hanging outside of a helicopter, mm. um, at kind of like five hundred feet in the air, so it wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be too afraid of heights. No, yeah. you wouldn't want to. It, w- it wouldn't be suitable. So it it was to test that. Um, and doing the helicopter downwash. Um, that is where a helicopter hovers maybe 20 feet above uh, above the lake and um, mm-hmm. how helicopters work is they push air down underneath them and mm-hmm. um, this creates a lot of pressure um, and then on the water then that creates pressure on the water and it pushes kind of waves out at you mm-hmm. um, and like a strong kind of mist um, and like just the force of the air and we were brought out on a rib to the other side of that and we had to swim under the under the helicopter and okay. um, kind of through that and that's called the downwash we did th- we had to swim through the downwash um so that's very difficult because like your senses are, are compromised and um you know you can't hear you can't see it's yeah. very very difficult to breathe um so you kind of just really push through yeah you have to push through um and you know you just you, you can't stop because you'll be pushed pushed back out so mm. you could be it's difficult because you're kind of you're out of breath from swimming right but you can't get the air in because the air is like it feels like hailstones like the air is full of water yeah. and you're getting pushed back out by the water and you could be getting waves kind of into your into your face so it's it's that's a difficult difficult stuff so and you stay calm through that as well because yeah, if you yeah, panic yeah. you won't be able to breathe properly mm. um so uh that was so you just Swim under that, get out the other side. <laughs> yeah, you, man, you make it sound easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just swim under it. Yeah, yeah, look, you, you obviously push through it. That's that's, yeah. that's, that's that's impressive. So that's that's day one and that's day two. So that's there's two serious days of, of, yeah. of and I'm assuming, assuming as well, it's blessing the lake, it's not warm, so you're obviously it's cold water immersion as well. It's cold, yeah. dirty water. Yeah, yeah. Lake, it's brown. <laughs> so you didn't swallow too much of it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so then that's day two of the, of the selections. So yeah. We haven't even got onto the course yet. You've just done two yeah. kind of grueling days. Is, is there more to it? Yeah, so you do a test talk as well, which okay. is just a little lecture. And uh, you get given a talk, uh, you get given a topic yeah. and you stand up in front of uh, of a group of people and give a topic that you research, research on. That's just to see if you're if you're confident enough to talk in front of people and and speak well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so is that in front of your class, the other selection course, or is that in front of instructors or both? Both. Okay. Um, officers, uh, officers, your class, 
instructors. So you kind of you need to be competent public speaking and a good communicator. You do, you do, and I and now that I'm in the job, I can see how that's relevant to the job. Mm. Um, you know, you would be given briefs sometimes, and you would be uh, the job itself. You're communicating with a pilot in yeah. the aircraft, so you do need to be able to. Speak speak competently so is, is that the end that's the last part of the section course no you do an interview as well okay. and you do a written piece just okay. about yourself um and then you do a flight test right so you actually go up in the aircraft and do um a small flight um you get given basic helicopter patter and, um, and when you say helicopter patter what's, what's that helicopter patter is basically the language we use to talk to the pilot okay and um, it's the way that we speak to them it's mm. The reason for it is that there's no ambiguity okay. that everyone kind of, everyone says the same things to each other um so that everyone is on the same page so you get given that and it's uni- kind of units of measurement and and stuff like that just so so everyone knows so yeah. just to eliminate confusion yeah, yeah yeah um so you're given a basic knowledge of that and then you're sent up on your test flight sent up on your test flight yeah. uh just to see if you're safe as well that you'll strap in and and how you sound on the comms that you're mm. able to communicate with the pilot and uh, you're standing out on the on the step for that so the door practice. open you're hanging out the side door open yeah. you're hanging out the side um i suppose probably the reason for that as well would be you know if you didn't like doing that it wouldn't mm. be the job for you yeah, so yeah. Maybe for the, maybe that's beneficial to the individual as well. And um, what kind of heights are, the, are you talking about when they're testing you? Um, the probably would be at three hundred feet. Could right. be it could be that high when yeah, and, yeah. and making a descent to the ground, and you could have the door open. So you need to be comfortable, really comfortable with heights. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you need to just be able to kind of stay calm mm. and not not panic. So then, at the all end of that, you've made the grade, and then you start the course. So yeah. can you can you talk me through the crewman's course itself, the length of it, and how what what what, what you do it and what you learn? The crewman's course um, is twelve weeks long. Um, the there's a small bit of theory in it, um, and it's but the course itself is mostly flying. Um, you basically learn how to land the helicopter. Um, you learn how to use the comms. Mm. You learn. A lot of it is knowing, is learning to know what places the helicopter can and can't land in, slope limitations, um, what surface is appropriate for it to land on, um, going, learning your patter, how to speak to the pilot, gaining confidence. Mm. Um, so when you say learn, learning to land the heli, the heli, so the two pilots are flying it, so you're assisting out the back, or how, do, how does it work? They, have they a limited view, or how, how does it work? They, the pilots basically can see 10 to 2 and you can see everything else. So they can't see directly below the aircraft. They can't see the tail. They can't see behind the aircraft. Mm. So you're kind of like the human wing mirror. You're Mm. explaining to them what's, what's under the tail and what's behind the aircraft. So like, for example, when you're landing, you to make sure that the blades aren't going to hit off and you've blade clearance. They're not going to hit off of anything. Mm. That the tail isn't going to hit off of anything. That there's nothing under the tail. Um, that the helicopter can fit in whatever place mm. you're, you're landing. Um, so it's a, lo- a lot of responsibility. It is a lot of responsibility. And a lot of trust, obviously, you have to build up with the with the pilots. Exactly. Um, in terms of the title itself, crewman, like we spoke before we uh, we began recording, and I asked you about the actual the gender title of it that it has crewman on it, and you gave me a great answer. Do you want to do you want to address that? Or because first thing that stood out to me is that you're not a man, a crewman, so. Does the title need to change or are you, are you happy with it? No, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think the title needs to be changed because 
I think that that's the the name of the job that I applied for. I don't think it has anything to do with gender. Mm. Um, like for example, you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't change soldier, mm. you wouldn't change corporal, you wouldn't change sergeant. Mm. I think it's just the name of the job that I applied for. I applied to be a helicopter crewman, and I'm happy enough to be to be called a crewman. And um, the job doesn't doesn't change based off of who's doing it. Yeah, yeah, very good. And it's it's a title that you've earned earned the hard way with the sounds of it as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So and uh, the course itself, then. So you've gone through your selection. Uh, you learned to fly a, a, a land a heli. So then, can you talk to me about your day to day now that you fi- finish the course, or what, what's your role now as a day to day crewman? Well, the great thing about up here is every day is different. Mm. Um. But at the moment, we're trying to get our hours up. Um, because uh, although we're basic crewmen, we're mm. still learning our trade and there's mm. still a lot that we still have to get qualified in. So we go up on training flight, flights quite a bit um, and we could be doing troop transport, we could be bringing people around. Um, and so uh, we'll be doing a lot of like that tra- training flights um, and as well working towards uh, getting qualified in all the different disciplines that crewmen do, um, be it do you know, uh, air gu- air gunnery or uh, parachute operations, and um, hopefully down the line uh, the abseiling, fast dropping, uh, winching. Um, and so, well, winch know, is so actually where you're you're physically getting out of the heli and being winched to the ground or winched yes. to something. Yeah. Yes. So that's obviously a very advanced skill. Yes, that is very advanced. That's uh, that would be further down the line for us when we gain a bit more, a bit more hours, a bit more experience. Um, we also do. We also be doing a firefighting, uh, the Bambi bucket mm. as well. So. so that's what that's my next question. Is, so what's what's the next step for you? Is it to marry the medical side, where you, or or what? What's the next step for you? Yes. Yeah, so the four of us that just came off the basic crewman's course are starting our uh, EMT emergency medical training. Mm. Emer- emergency medical technician training mm. on uh, Monday um, so yeah so uh, that, that'll qualify us to do air ambulance and that'll qualify us to, to work with the emergency aeromedical service in Athlone which is basically an air ambulance uh, based in Athlone. So talk to me about the EMT course what's, in, what's involved in that from, from what I've heard it's, it's a very intense course as well. The EMT course is uh, one below paramedic and okay. um, it is a Five-week five course plus uh, placement and examinations. Um, so it qualifies, it qualifies you to work on an ambulance mm. um, with a paramedic, uh, uh, an advanced paramedic. Mm. So. so then when you say placement, is that with the EAS and Athlone or do you go to out to the National Ambulance Service or where do you do your placement? We'll be doing placements on, on normal ambulances and hopefully we'll be doing shadow shifts on the emergency air medical. So that, that, that'll be very interesting, intense, but it'll be very interesting. It, yeah, it is. It is a very, the EAS is quite intense because of the kind mm. of calls that the helicopter gets called to. Mm. Um, but it is that it is exciting and, and interesting. So kind of working for the uh, EAS is kind of the, the end goal for you? Yeah, it's. I really want to work with the EAS. I think it's really important work that they do. Um, you know, they're, they're literally out saving lives. Mm. Um, and it's something from when I applied, I really wanted to be involved in that. Um, and I want the experience of the kind of work that they do and... Uh, you know the kind of calls that they get called to so i'm really excited and i am really looking forward to, to yeah, being so involved. literally the sky's the limit for you yeah <laughs> yeah uh, but if you don't if you don't mind me saying it it really comes across that you really do love your job and uh, would, would, would that be right would it safe to say that yeah i do i do and uh, so then we, we'll we'll wrap up um now and um but what i'd la- what i'd ask you is that 
what would you what advice would you give to any 2019 20 year old who's looking to join the defense forces or what advice would you give yourself when you were sitting looking to join the defense forces back to four or five years ago um so the advice yeah i'd give any any 19 or, or 20 year old would be um would be to go for it and mm. would be to kind of put as much into it as as you can to get as much out of it because i think it's it is the kind of job that you the more you put in the more you get out mm. and like that i didn't know that the helicopter crewman's course was was available to people in the army mm. i didn't know that the their emergency or medical service was was a route that i could go down mm. i didn't i didn't know that and and that's an amazing opportunity that presented itself it's it's been absolutely excellent you've had an an unbelievable jam-packed four years. It's been great having the show. Thanks so much, Cathy. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> For further information on how to join the Irish Air Corps, click on the Apply button on military.ie. For general information on the Irish Defence Forces, check out our social media channels and our website, military.ie. Serving members are also encouraged to check out the members area on military.ie. The Irish Defence Force podcast is now available on Spotify, Acast and Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode was produced by Corporal Keith Harrison of the Defence Forces Audiovisual School. The Irish Defence Force podcast will be back soon with another episode. Until then, thanks for listening and stay safe.